This show is pre-recorded and furnished by Frazier Productions. Welcome to The Deciders with Renee Frazier. This is Renee Frazier, the founder and CEO of Frazier Communications, the leading woman-owned and woman-led advertising and communications firm in Southern California. At Frazier, we specialize in changing behaviors to grow brands and positively impact society with private and public sector clients. And most recently, we're working on all the COVID-19 communications from the LA Department of Public Health, a lot of social media about our best practices as we beat this terrible virus. The Deciders, though, is a great opportunity to feature change agents in their communities, writers, and leaders, so that we can educate ourselves about current issues that affect our businesses, how we manage with our people, and how we grow ourselves as human beings. Now, we all know that women have had a tougher time than men in raising money to start businesses. On this show, we brought on venture capitalists to talk about the about 4% of the dollars that go to women and less than 1% that goes to women of color. Unfortunately, women are less likely to gain the same profile and the recognition that men enjoy, which gives them the opportunity to be present in front of the venture capitalists. We also know that questions are asked differently to women when they come in front of venture capitalists. But our guest today has demonstrated why the traditional markers of success really need to change and what people look for as they invest need to change. Our author is Diana Knapp, a journalist and author. She's written for many magazines. She's got her MBA from Stanford. And most recently, she's the author of the book, Girls Who Run the World. She created headlines when she wrote a letter to the editor-in-chief of Forbes magazine, and was signed by over 170 women CEOs. And she wrote this after the magazine published that their list of uh, America's most innovative leaders, and it only had one woman on it. So she was protesting with these other women. Diana, welcome to the show. We're delighted to have you here. It's really nice to be here, Renee, and it's nice to meet you. A pleasure. Diana, the list of women CEOs that signed your letter was quite impressive. How did all of that happen? What's the backstory there? It was the gift from the gods that came to a first-time author. So about two weeks before my book was set to publish, um, which is a book aimed at teen girls and young women and inspiring them to believe they can grow up to be business leaders and innovators, um, Forbes came out with this list, which they do, you know, every couple of months they have their um, best, most lists, which are very powerful lists. So these things come out into society and they end up determining, you know, who gets put on conference panels and who gets appointments to, you know, academic fellowships or academic appointments. So I clicked open that list and I was um, just really shocked as much as I'd seen the data about how few women CEOs are in the Fortune 500 It's about 5% and has barely budged over time. There was just one woman on this list. And I reached out to Ann Wojcicki, the CEO of 23andMe, who's someone who I've interacted with on stories in the past and is profiled in my book, and asked her if she would be a spokesperson for the group. And I knew if I could get her involved, I could probably get a slot on a NPR show. 
So we went on All Things Considered, and she talked about the situation. And in the meantime, I just started sending out emails to, to try to, at that time, we had just like maybe 10 people had signed on. And women just went crazy mm-hmm. forwarding it to their friends and anyone I knew was trying to get me to people like Stella McCartney and try to get higher and higher profile people. The, you know, CEO of US Shell Oil signed on. And and as soon as you have a few names like that on the list, then others join and they spread it right with their colleagues. I think that's great. How did Forbes respond? So it was, it meant enough to them to write every single person on my list, which was 170 CEOs, a personal note, you know, apologizing and explaining the kind of criteria that they had used. They had an academic approach to create this list, which is still rather surprising that someone could have taken a look at that list and and felt that it was reasonable to publish that The note came from Moira Forbes, who I do know, you know, is behind Forbes Women and cares right. about this issue. And so right. it was just a huge oversight on their part. And it got a lot of media, not just my letter and, you know, headlines around that, but, you know, a number of interesting people were posting their own lists of the hundred most innovative people in America. That would be, you know, a list of a hundred women. Right. So it went pretty viral and it was a powerful way to, to launch a book that is aimed at this exact problem, which is the fact that women are out there on the cutting edge of so many industries, whether it's, you know, personal genetic testing or doing, you know, CRISPR gene editing in the lab and remaking the apparel industry with um, Stitch Fix and Rent the Runway. And we just know very little about these women. We we don't see them. They don't appear on the covers of magazines. And so my thought was, there's a lot of books aimed at teen girls and young girls that portray historical pioneering women, you know, whether it's Amelia Earhart or Marie Curie, but there hasn't been a lot aimed at that audience that is about modern pioneering women. And so that was, that was the idea. I love the idea, Diana. And I want to make sure I say Diana Cap. I, I, I think it's fabulous. I have bought those other books. I have a nine-year-old and uh, five, it seemed to be six-year-old granddaughters and another one who's 13. And you're right. There are books about women scientists and, and uh, leaders in, in government, et cetera. But this is about business. And I was quite impressed. I 31 CEOs who mean business is your subtitle. I like that a lot. It's a great way to learn about what it takes and the perseverance. Uh, so this is targeted to what would you say, 11 to 16-year-olds? What's the age? Yeah, that's, that's about right. But honestly, it's been a kind of a strange phenomenon that it's it's really reached across such a broad swath of ages. Like it's it's appealing to, you know, mothers that have young children and to women who are thinking about going back to work or who want to change careers and do something entrepreneurial. My college niece, college-age niece, you know, all of her friends are, you know, constantly writing me emails with ideas for people they'd like to see profiled. And a thought I have for you about why it's so important that we profile women in business. And I think that there's been this issue 
that girls have kind of shied away from the idea that making money is something that is good to do and okay to do and that they um, are able to do. It's always had this kind of funny taboo um, among women to kind of want to be a money maker. I remember reading this this study at at Harvard Business School that you know, they ask all the class like to rank the three top reasons why they're there. And it's, you know, it's always the men that are, you know, talking about that they want to, you know, do well economically. Right. And if you think about our society and how it operates, having passions and social issues are very important, but having economic power is very tied to all kinds of power in our society, whether that's being able to get involved in politics and fund candidates, whether it's the way that boards are chosen because you need to be able to, you know, make donations on a nonprofit board. It really ends up being very tied to how women are going to have just a higher profile in our society in leadership positions in general, I believe. You know, you're totally right, Diana. When you, uh, uh, in order to have a, a place at the table and have a voice, you have to accomplish certain things. I, I'm a part of an organization called 2020 Women on Boards. I'm on their national board, and uh, I, I spearhead the event we do in Los Angeles every year with Betsy Berkham, where we do about 30 of them in November, and we reveal the percentage of women on boards. The goal was 20% by 2020, and I'm happy to say we exceeded that in 2019 at 20.4, and we'll definitely be over 20%. I was also part of the group that got the law passed in California, SBA 26 mandating that all publicly traded companies based in California have to have at least one woman on their board in 2019, two in 2020, and three in 21. And you're right. In order to get on a corporate board, you have to have been, in most cases, on a nonprofit board. And you're right. There's a give or get on these boards, 10, 15, dollars $5,000. So money gets you access. And I'll just uh, underscore one other thing, which is I, I, I'm on an um, advisory board for the business school in uh, USC. And I sit through, I'm mean, also an investor in, in uh, startups. And when I sit through the pitch meetings with young women and young men, there's a big difference. The women tend to be very focused, not on money, but on making, doing good in the world social enterprises. The men are clearly focused and talk openly about wanting to be a hockey stick, you know, in terms of their growth. It's it's largely about money. So you're right. Somehow we've socialized our girls not to be as focused on making money that almost as if there's something tawdry about it. So how do you address that, Diane? How do you change that mindset for young girls? Like anything, I think exposure is what starts to change mindsets, just normalizing. I remember, you know, earlier this year, the CEO of The Wing was the first woman to go on the cover of a magazine. You know, she was about eight months pregnant. And that was the first time a pregnancy CEO had ever appeared on the cover of a magazine. And, you know, I think it's the same sort of thing. Like she was aiming, she bothered to do that I'm sure she didn't want to be photographed at that stage in her pregnancy. But it's, but it's but symbolic. It says we can do this. Symbolic. We can do both, right? Yeah. And it just, the more we see that, the more it starts to feel normal. And there are so many women out there 
on the cutting edge of different fields, becoming inventors and in a position to start really important companies, important in all ways, not just money-making, but important in changing society, forwarding society. And so I think, you know, girls need role models. They need to see that there are people out there that look like them, that that are relatable to them. So a big idea in the book was also to, to try to have enough detail in the stories, you know, about who these women were as young girls or, you know, what kind of families they grew up in, you know, what kind of grades they got in school, you know, in each profile, I list out like what their GPA was. And I mean, I wouldn't have added it in if, if it was all 4.0. In many right. cases, right. you know, these women, they weren't necessarily the star students. Right. You know, right. they had other talents. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to see that that's still a viable path for you to, to be on if you're not, you know, at the top of your math class, you can still become the head of Farm Girl Flowers, you know, she never even went to college. Right. And yes. I see this week, she's just signed a big deal with Levi's. She's going to wrap these bouquets that she makes in blue jeans. Like, cause she has these little wraps that are kind of her trademark look and they get delivered to your door. And so she's just a really, really creative woman. And she's founded this you know, charming door-to-door delivery service for, it began as U.S. grown flowers, but she's Mm -hmm. had to expand. I love that idea, you know, because you also show that it's not easy, right? They had to persevere. uh, And you're right, uh, grades are usually not the formula. You know, the data shows that most of the people who are really at the top of their their game in terms of these companies are often the B and C students. They got along really well with people, but they weren't the smartest person. And, uh, and it's, as you well know, it's hiring really smart people, right? Surrounding yourself with good people uh, and having the right spirit. I I love, uh, I love the the idea of the book. I I have the book and I, I, as I said, I'm going to be sharing it with quite a few young women. Were there any stories that really surprised you and stand out as well? I, So glad I found this out. There were uh, women that I had never heard of that um, the way I got to the women is by asking, you know, well-known women who they know under the radar and who they recommend. And, you know, for instance, it brought me to a woman in your town, um, Jessie Ganey, and um, she's got this incredible business that started as a single product ink product that was to make t-shirts and it was a light activated dye and she just became obsessed with that as a teenager and she was filled her basement with screen printing equipment and she was told all kinds of you know things she wanted to do like wrap the words around the arm would be impossible she she dug up this product in an old manual that talked about you know different you know, pioneering printing practices of the day. And she went and she found the guy that had developed this product. She bought it out from under him. And and then she re- had this revelation that a single product is never going to really turn her into a, a real business. And so she thought, what is it that I really know about? And what she knows about is printing. And so now she's she is printing the boxes for hundreds of direct-to-consumer businesses, um, everything from Stitch, Bi- Stitch Fix to Everlane to um, 
blue bottle coffee and Casper mattresses. And, you know, she's got a way to do it that is that allows you to be changing it throughout the year. So she, you could have a special thanks, you know, a Thanksgiving box and a Valentine's Day box. Anyway, I just thought, you know, finding that's a rather surprising story that it started as a teenager in her basement. Absolutely. You know, she goes, she went to art school. She doesn't have any kind of business background. Yes, and she exactly. ended up getting herself into Y Combinator. Um, which is this, you know, fantastic incubator, incubator that, right, right, yeah, and and they encouraged her to have this kind of bigger thinking um, about, you know, not just this small product, but what what is the big idea here? What is what is it that you really bring to the table? So I, I love that story. I think it's good too to know that other people uh, uh, can help you, right, and guide you there. There clearly is a zeitgeist around putting more women into these roles. So theoretically, we've got some men out there who are who want to be partners, typically who run these incubators, certainly the business school that I was speaking of, but they recognize that they're missing half the population and a real opportunity to, uh, uh, they also often have daughters. And so they're very cognizant that they don't want these ceilings and these doors shut on on their own daughters and they see the potential. But the book is uh, is exciting because you tell these stories in such a human way. And I love the way you ask people about their guilty pleasure, um, you know, uh, something unusual about themselves. Uh, it looks like you, you strove very hard to make them very authentic. Was that part of the, the way to get a connection, connection to your readers? Definitely. I mean, I think, you know, humanizing them and, you know, making a young girl know that this person was a young girl once too, and she probably wasn't all that different than you. And then, you know, choosing women from a lot of different backgrounds, um, parts of the country, parts of the world and with different interests so that every girl who was looking at this book could find someone who they, you know, hopefully could sort of relate to or connect to. Um, something that was kind of surprising and encouraging that I learned doing the book is that these pitch competitions that are becoming really commonplace, you know, on college campuses and um, in all kinds of, you know, university settings and in um, incubators are putting them on, they are often the way that a young woman gets her first sign of encouragement that she's on to a good idea. So um, Macy Peterson Philitas, she's a woman who had this idea that after she sent this really embarrassing text back to her boyfriend, an ex-boyfriend, she she thought, God, it would be cool if you could take back a text. Pull those back, right. <laughs> and the way she figured out how to do it was She's, she knew that on um, live television that there, you know, when there's something outrageous that happens, there is a way to kind of have a slight delay. And so that was what she figured out. But she, she hadn't figured out the technical, um, she hadn't cracked it technically when she got invited to present at South by Southwest. And she won this, you know, it was kind of a small pitch competition. Maybe she won $1,000, but, you know, presented for two minutes. But getting that winning um, nod made her feel, you know, so confident. And then, you know, she really was off and running from there. And that's, that story is all over the book. 
I love that. I see that. You know, I'm part of a, an organization in Los Angeles called Women Founders Network, and our pitches are just coming up. We've featured some of the women who've won those pitches on our show, and uh, we just created a distinction award for women of color who have come back, come to them with great ideas, so we can support those women as well. And I agree with you that pitch is a chance to narrow your story, be enthusiastic, show your passion. And some people invest, other people become advisors, right? And give you connections, which I know you cover in the book as well. So it's putting yourself out there, which is kind of scary, but it gets you much further along and it's worth the investment of the time, just as you suggest in the book. Let me ask you, Diana, what else is on the, uh, the back burner for you? Are you looking at any future books? I am. I'm just getting started on a kind of a follow on to this book, which I've called Girls Who Green the World. And it's um, going to feature change makers and innovators and activists um, in the sphere of um, environmental change and sustainability. Um, You know, everyone from, you know, Greg Renfrew, who started Beauty Counter, which is... um, one of the first companies to have a real list of chemicals that they don't use that's about a thousand chemicals long and who's lobbying the FDA to have more regulation in cosmetics. Um, to you know, a wonderful woman I interviewed today, Kathy Hanoon, who is with Dandelion Energy. She is starting a, a geothermal home heating company. Um, which is just, she comes out of Google X and just is an incredible, incredible visionary woman. Um, so that's pretty exciting to find. She sounds wonderful. Wonderful. I just invested in a company called You and Grace, run by a woman. And uh, they are all about uh, skincare products that do not have chemicals in them. They have discovered that chemicals can interrupt your hormones yep. and can impact your health, including your fertility. That was their experience. They were able to get surrogates, she and her husband, their sisters on both sides, and their children are named You and Grace. So they've named the company You and Grace. Oh, that's great. And it's all environmentally uh, packaged. You know, the packaging is sustainable, recycled, but the products have none of these chemicals. It's disturbing when you learn what's in some of the cosmetic products that we put all over our bodies on a regular basis, right? Yeah, and there and apparently there hasn't been any regulation on any single cosmetic since the 1970s. Lobbying, right? So that they've been <laughs> able to get away yeah. with it. Yeah. I think it's very smart that you're taking on a green environmental. That is clearly important to all of us. Uh, I think COVID-19 has made it very evident to us that uh, climate change is extremely real. And the fact that uh, obviously we have another hot year and it's affected our weather in so many ways. And the good news is young people, especially Gen Z and the younger millennials, are clearly passionate about changing this. You know, I think it's interesting. I think 20 years from now, we are going to be shamed as as baby boomers and older folks who did not prevent and affect climate change when we knew we could. Yeah, I agree. I, I take my cues from my two teenage daughters um, and this is just something that they're, I mean, they're obsessed with this issue. They're, they're terrified of climate change. It's really, you know, causing a lot of panic. Um, you know, we live in California where there's fires everywhere. We have spent time in the summers in Idaho, which is now also burning. 
you know, they're noticing in their lifetimes a lot, a lot of issues and change. So well, good luck with that book. I think it's going to be great. I will definitely want to have you back on when that's ready. You know, Diana, we're going to wrap up in a couple of minutes. Having written this book, interviewed so many of these wonderful women business starters and business owners, what, what advice would you give for young women thinking about starting their own operation, starting their own business? The, the biggest piece of advice I think I would give is that um, you're going to encounter a lot of failure and you're going to have a lot of people tell you that your idea is not a good one. And I'll give you an example. Stitch Fix, founded by Katrina Lake, which is now um, just blowing it out of the water, she was told by her first by her Harvard professor that her idea would be an inventory nightmare. Huh. And then she was told no by the first three, 30 venture capitalists that she pitched. And, you know, I heard that from a lot of the women and, you know, along the way, they just encounter, you know, times when it feels like it's just over but somehow they dig deep inside and they believe in themselves and they keep going. And then that is what kind of builds the muscle of like believing in yourself. And so I would just say you really have to move beyond like a small amount of rejection. You know, people send 25 emails and then one gets pinged back. And that's the person who, you know, who stocks your first, you know, lotion that you want to get into Sephora. So it doesn't, because you had 25 rejections doesn't mean you're not going to have one acceptance. So good advice. Good yeah. advice. Don't give up. Thank you. This has been Diana Cap, the author of Girls Who Run the World, 31 CEOs Who Mean Business. Thank you for listening to The Deciders with Renee Frazier. I run Frasier Communications, and you can find each of these radio shows as podcasts at FrasierCommunications.com. Thank you for listening. Please stay safe and prevent yourself and your loved ones from getting COVID-19. Be sure to wear a face mask when you're out, social distance, and practice good hygiene, washing your hands. Have a wonderful week ahead. Thank you for listening. This is Renee Frazier from The Deciders. This is Dr. Muntu Davis, Los Angeles County Public Health Officer. Although anybody can become sick or die from COVID-19, studies show that the black community is at higher risk, as are people 65 years and older, people in nursing homes, and people with underlying health conditions. If you have to be outside, practice physical distancing. Keep six feet from others and wear a cloth face covering. Wash your hands often for at least 20 seconds. Let's keep our community safe, and to find health care, call 211. Brought to you by the L.A. County Department of Public Health. This show is pre-recorded and furnished by Frasier Productions. 